Well, we said that the first chapter of John and the beginning of the second chapter represents the introduction to the conclusion John presents in the last chapter. Now, I remind you that we said the theme of the letter is little children keep yourself from idols, the last verse of the letter. And here again in chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I am writing these things, etc. And this part of 1 John is a development of what we have in uh, verse 18 of the final chapter. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Well, just a couple of words about that because the translation is wrong. It's totally wrong. It should be, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. The Greek doesn't say does not keep on sinning, which is a totally different meaning. And John is talking here about the sin of idolatry, the sin which leads to following Antichrist, that John also speaks about, rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. So not sinning is not keeping on in unbelief, in idolatry. But he who was born of God, that is the Lord Jesus, protects him. That is, Jesus is protecting us. And this is all reflected in John chapter 2, verses 1 and following, where we see how Christ protects us as our advocate, our counsellor, as our propitiation, and how we are to walk to keep ourselves from idolatry so as not to sin in the sense of sinning in unbelief against the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John has already told us in the first chapter what it is to be a Christian, the first verses, and what it is to live as a Christian in the mean old world, verses 5 to 10. And now in chapter 2, verses 1 to Six, we have what to do with mean old me. What to do with sin in my life. How am I to live, not only as a Christian in a sinful world, but as a Christian who is still a sinner? And it's obvious that we keep on sinning. You've sinned this afternoon, as I have. Huh? And John says that, this is not something that surprises us because if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So we certainly are sinners, see? However, there is an answer to this. And the answer to this is when the light of God that John speaks about shines into our lives. When the light of God shines into our lives, 
and makes us new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ, it produces three effects. Or there are three things that take place that we can observe. First of all, the light of God shining in our lives reconciles us to God and brings us peace with God through Jesus Christ. The second thing that the light of God shining in our hearts does is create in us a new heart, cleansed and purified from sin. And the third thing that the light of God does when it shines in our lives is that it allows us to walk as new creatures in union with Jesus Christ. And those three points are what John develops here in this chapter, in the first part of it. Now, the Tour de France is starting next weekend. I'll be following it on television. And uh, I enjoy the Tour de France. Now they have super modern bikes with composite wheels. But think of an old bike wheel. Hmm? You have a hub in the centre, you have a tyre round the edge, and you have spokes. Now, if you imagine that God is the hub, and at the outside, the tyre, is being far from God, if you put yourself on the tyre level, then you are not only far from God, the hub, but you are also far from other people. You know, the spoke goes down like that. So when you are far from God, you are far from other people. And as you approach God and get nearer to him, and you are born again, then getting nearer to God, very strangely, you become more conscious of what it is to be a sinner. People on the outside aren't at all conscious of sin as being a problem. But as we get nearer to God, our sin becomes a bigger reality to us. So we have to deal with it. So what are we to do? Well, first of all, we see here that John says, if anyone does sin, Verse, two, uh, verse 1, second part, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ, uh, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but for the, all the sins of the whole world. So what's John telling us about dealing with the problem of sin here? Well, it's a wonderful truth, but he's telling us Sin isn't a problem anymore for us because it's been dealt with once and for all by Jesus Christ. He is a propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a complicated word, but it's the cover of the ark, the propitiatory. And the cover of the ark is solid gold. And in the ark is the law of God. 
And when the blood of the sacrifice is sprinkled on the propitiation of the cover of the ark, then the accusation of the law no longer stands against the sinner. Now imagine a rough floor. And a rough floor, to make it good, you get a workman to come in and put a new wood covering on the floor. And that's like what the propitiation means. You're a sinner, but you've got a covering that hides that sin from God's vision. And it's the blood of Christ that is the propitiation for our sins. So we are sinners, but the blood of Christ comes in and covers all our sin so that God is no longer angry with us as sinners. And instead of being angry, because of the Lord Jesus Christ's perfect sacrifice and the blood he shed, God is no longer angry with us. God accepts us. Jesus Christ has turned away the judgment of God from us because he took it on himself for us. And we may be still sinners under the accusation of the law, but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and pleads in our favour before God. So the gold cover on the ark represents the perfect humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ and the propitiation is the shedding of his blood for our sin and that deals with our sin once and for all. And we are really pardoned and forgiven for our sins because of Jesus Christ. And that's been done. It's a once and for all thing that Christ did for us. And he did it not only for us, but for the whole world. And you can interpret that in different ways. Either you take it from a Jewish perspective and you say it's for all nations, or you take it from a Christian perspective and you say it's not only for us who are here, but it's for all those who believe throughout the whole of the history of the world until Christ returns. And you can take both interpretations as being possible. But one thing is for certain, if we believe in Christ and if our trust is in him, our sins are really done away with by him. And God is no longer angry with us. Uh, on the contrary, we are at peace with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And that's one way of handling our sin. If someone sins, we're to remind ourselves of this. Jesus Christ has died for us. Now, the second thing is, even more wonderful in a certain sense, right now, Jesus Christ is our advocate, our living advocate. He died for our sins, but now he's interceding for us. And an advocate, you see, is a counsellor. Now, in American legal language, a counsellor is a lawyer who pleads your case when you're guilty and who represents you and who will get you off. He's a good lawyer. 
like Jimmy in Better Call Saul, he gets the worst criminals off, okay? So Jesus Christ gets the worst criminals off because he's pleading their cause before God. And look at it this way, he's our advocate. And Jesus Christ, who is our intermediary, stands before the throne of God and says, look at my hands, look at my side, look at my wounds, look at what I did to save these people. And God looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and forgives our sin because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our advocate pleasing for us, pleading for us. But that's the Godward aspect of things. And now there's also an usward aspect of things. Eh? Jesus Christ is saying to us, look at what I did for you, my brother, my sister. I shed my blood for you. I gave my life for you. I laid myself down for you. I sacrificed myself for you. Look at the greatness of my love. Do you think your sins can stand up against all that I've done for you? No way. Jesus Christ is our advocate, and that is our assurance of salvation and our assurance of peace with God. It's not every day I'm getting better and better. Oh no, it's every day I'm looking to the Lord Jesus Christ who pleads my cause for me before God. That's the first thing. The second thing uh, John goes on to say here and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. There's one little phrase. Now, the rider is, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Okay, that's the contrary. Now, here's the third phrase. Whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. That's the third phrase. So the second thing about being a Christian is when the light of God shines us, we have a new heart because we are made anew and we're turned round because for the first time in our lives, we see sin as it really is. The farer you are away from God, the less you will be conscious of sin. The nearer you get to God, the more you will be conscious of it. And that is the amazing reality that John is presenting for us here. And how do we know this? If we keep his commands and if we walk according to his word, we know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this exposes our sin as it really is and makes us conscious of our sin. But let's have a look for two minutes how this works. What's the difference between evil and sin? Well, it's very simple. Evil is right out there. Everyone can recognize evil for what it is. But sin 
is always what is hidden. Evil reveals itself. Sin hides itself. What did Adam and Eve do? They hid themselves. And you know, what we do, even as Christians, is we try and hide our sins from ourselves. Hmm? And when we hide our sins from ourselves, we gaslight ourselves. Sin is always something which gaslights people. And by that I mean it gives them a false narrative about what they are and about what's happening. Something is going on and the government says something else is going on. And so it's deceiving people. You know, John talks about this here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So sin is the great liar. Sin is the great deceiver. And, you know, we can accept full well that at a government level, sin deceives people. And we can see it happening. I'll give you an illustration of it. On the 26th of April, 1986, was a big accident. You know what it was. It was Chernobyl. But on French television, the French government told the television companies not to announce that the cloud from Chernobyl was also over France. Hmm? They gaslighted everyone through the news, through the official state news channel. The Chernobyl cloud stopped at the French border. And it was the Maybank holiday weekend. And off we went to the beach with our kids. Thousands upon thousands of people got thyroid cancer from that. I think my wife lost her eyebrows. But she had thyroiditis for a good while. And there was a false narrative which deceived people. Well, we can accept that at a government level. We expect governments not to tell us the whole truth, don't we? But, you know, it can happen in churches, too, that false narratives gaslight people. And we have to exercise discernment. And some of the worst false narratives gaslighting people that I know have happened in churches, where falsehood is presented as truth and where people are misled because the whole truth is not told them. Even though some people know the whole truth, it's not told them. And things are wrapped up and presented in a nice way to keep the peace in the church. And that's gaslighting. And here's a great example of that. The film Spotlight. Well, that happened in the Catholic Church, didn't it? You know, in Boston, they hid from public view the terrible paedophile ring that there was. And so-called servants of God were abusing children. That happened in the church. It can happen in evangelical churches too. 
And it can happen in families as well. Because sin is what hides itself. And we can hide our sins very successfully from our wives. There were sins I hid very successfully from my wife when we first got married. She soon got to know him. But, you know, it's very easy to do because sin always hides. So a changed heart shines light into this and brings light into the darkness. And this is what John repeats several times. If we're walking in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him and one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. John is repeating here what he said in the previous chapter. Whoever walks according to the way he walked, in the light according to the commandments, will be free of sin, because the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ leads us to walk in the light as he is in the light. Whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. You know, love is not, its only self, it's, it's not self-validating or its own criteria. We know that we love according to our doing of the word. And it's only our doing what the word of God says that allows us to walk in the light as he is in the light. And to know the love of God as we walk in the light with him according to the word. So it's not love alone, and John speaks a lot of love, and it's not the word of the law, but it's practicing the word in love that is walking in the light. That's the manifestation of a purified, of a clean heart before God. The person who walks like that, John says, in him, in her, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, that's a bad translation. Again, the love of God is completed, is made complete. And it's looking to the future. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, fellowship with him according to the word, in love, our sins are manifest and dealt with. And as that takes place in us, the love of God reaches an ever more complete expression as we draw near to the hub, the center of the wheel. The love of Christ is more and more perfected in us or complete in us. And all this requires very serious self-examination as to how we're walking, as to whether we're hiding things from ourselves. We can deceive ourselves and the truth be not in us. We can deceive others, that's easy enough. But you know, you can never gaslight God. God can't be deceived. God knows exactly 
what is motivating us. He knows exactly what is driving us. And he knows that because if we're believers, he knows us in Jesus Christ as ones who are forgiven our sins because of Christ who died for us and Christ who pleads for us. So we may go on sinning and we may go on hiding our sins from ourselves and we may try to do that but look at the Lord Jesus Christ, he's pleading for us. We can face up to our sins when we see Christ in this light and when we walk in the light with him then we have fellowship with him and his blood cleanses us from all sins. To be cleansed from our sins, we have to know what they are. We have to be burned inside ourselves in such a way as we can see ourselves realistically in the presence of God and seek the Lord Jesus Christ and forgiveness from sin in him. Now, a changed heart is an expression of union with Christ. And so we come to the last little bit here. John says in chapter 2, verse 5, second part, By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. So, dealing with sin is not like climbing a mountain and it's a terrible effort and every time you get to a, a new peak, there's another peak in front of you and you have to make even more effort. And some people think that dealing with sin is making more efforts to be good, etc. But it's not like that. Uh, dealing with sin is like gliding along on an electric scooter. Because in Christ, the life of Christ flows into us and Christ in us assists us in our struggle against sin. So it's his life in ours which helps us against sin. It's not keep my commandments and you won't sin. It's live in me and you won't sin. And what John says here uh, uh, gets all kinds of alarm bells ringing. By this we are sure that we are in him. Are we sure of our uh, acceptance in Christ? Well, here's the way to know it. He who abides in me, in him. Abiding in Christ. That sets off all kind of alarm bells ringing. Because it's John chapter 15. I am the true vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Hmm? Now, I know a lot about vines. Huh? 
because I had friends who worked in vines in the south of France. And you know, to be fruitful, a vine has to be grafted. That is, a cut is made in the stem branch and another branch is grafted into that cut and tied into that cut. And if that isn't done, then the vine will not produce any fruit. It will remain a virgin vine without fruit. But when the grafting is taken place into the cut stem of the vine, then a lot of fruit will be born. Hmm? And Jesus is saying, I've been cut for you, and you are grafted into me by faith. And when you are grafted into me by faith, you abide in me, you live in me, and it's the life of Christ, the sap from the vine that flows into the branches that produces the fruit in us. And this is how we know that we are Christians. There's anything we do, any good we do, it's Christ doing that good in us because his life is flowing into us. And that is how we walk in the way in which he walked. Hmm? And we can test that practically. How did the Lord Jesus Christ walk? He walked in love and compassion. Yes, but most of all, he walked in obedience to his Father. What's our level of obedience to God? If we abide in Christ, we will naturally have the desire to obey him. Do you love sin? Stop loving sin and obey Christ. It's his life in yours. Obedience to God, to God's word. That's how we know Christ is living in us. If you have no desire to obey Holy Scripture and to live according it, you're certainly not a Christian. If you have a desire to live in Christ and fight against sin, well, that's Christ's life flowing into you and living in you, and you will produce fruit in Christ. You will become aware of your sins. You will confess them before God and to others. You will receive forgiveness and receiving forgiveness, you will receive newness of life and peace with God and with others. Obedience in the Lord Jesus Christ is a test of our life in him. And finally, we can talk about obedience and self-sacrifice. We're not in this for ourselves. We're in this for Christ, because we love him, we're in this because the love of Christ for us motivates us to love those who are in Christ around us. And so the love of Christ flows into us and we walk in the same way as he walked. Not always perfectly, for sure. But God will complete in us the work he has begun. He will help us to this final goal, 
which John talks about here. So, let's wrap this up very briefly. Idolatry, beware of it, says John. Idolatry puts barriers up, first of all, between us and God, then between us and other people, and then between us and the real me. When we come to the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who gave himself for our sins, who laid down his life for us, the barriers between us and God fall down. A changed heart brings us into union with Christ and walking as he walked, we seek to walk in love with respect to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we have to, we will even lay down our life for them in sacrifice as Christ did. And so we will come to know ourselves. Our real enemy will be freed from sin because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how John proposes that we handle our sin. By seeing that the problem of sin is solved once and for all in Christ, by living in Christ as the one who pleads for us, by having a new heart in Christ because we're regenerated and receive new life in him, and by walking in him through his presence in us, according to scripture and with the guiding of the Holy Spirit. John will return, if you want to read the rest of the epistle, to these themes again and again and again. Little children, keep yourselves from idolatry. Little children, watch out for the Antichrist. Little children, walk as he walked. That's John's message for us.